0: Today's episode is brought to you by Become The Spotlight. If you've been curious and wanting to know what it takes to have a bigger impact with your story and to change the world and to transform your business and how you can learn from some of the most inspiring guests that have come on the show and how you would benchmark according to how well they're doing in five different areas, now's your opportunity. Head over to www.BecomeTheSpotlight.com, take the three-minute assessment, it's free, and it will give you some specific tips on areas you can improve, and also celebrate the areas you're doing great. So if you want to go and find out what your score is, head to www.BecomeTheSpotlight.com, and I can't wait to read and see your score. I'll see you in there. Hi, and welcome to the Unconventionist Podcast. I'm your host, Mark DeRoost, and this is the show about what it's really like to turn your message into movement, Each week, I sit down with an inspiring guest to distill the stories between the ups and the downs of the journeys and the lessons learned from both. I have a very special guest today, and his name is Alex Holmes. He's the author of the brand new book, Time to Talk. Now, if you've been thinking about raising awareness around men's mental health, if you want to talk about what it means to be a man in today's modern society and if you're looking to overturn the hypermasculinity narrative that's been portrayed in today's society and media over the last decades if not centuries then not only are you going to enjoy the book but you're going to love today's conversation about what it takes to build courageous men we dive into alex's story of how he ended up discovering the power of therapy how as a journalist he realized there's a difference between news and features and why he became obsessed and passionate about sitting down and talking with people about their stories, hosting an award-winning podcast, and then compiling all that information so much more into this book. It's a powerful conversation. If it touches you or moves you in a certain way, please do reach out. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts, and make sure to subscribe to the channel over on YouTube, and leave a little thumbs up and put the alarm bell notification to make sure you don't miss a single episode. It helps spread the word, it helps change the world. So thank you so much. Now, without further ado, I give you the one and only Alex Holmes. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for having me. It's
0: it's,
1: it's super happy to be here.
0: Yeah, really, uh, really grateful. and, um, And thanks also for being patient with the whole link issues and it's, it's part of, I find like it's part of this new world of everything virtual online. Mm, mm, um, mm. But I'm excited to talk to you. I'll be perfectly honest. I didn't have time to finish the book. I have uh, read through it. And, uh, and I'm really, it's, it's one of these things. It's like, first of all, I don't know if you know a little bit about men's health is, and especially mental health is like a big topic close to my heart. Yeah. And I just wanted to, from the get go, just wanted to say thank you for your, um, your honesty and your and your willingness to be open and vulnerable about your background story about your own um bouts with mental health and your journey about how you stigmatized it and felt wrong to suddenly opening it up getting your friends being taking part so that's just i literally just want to kick off with that thank you thank you so much um, and there's one thing there's there's so many ways i wanted to start this this conversation Mm -hmm. but i think one of them being very selfishly that I'm on the other side of the book journey, which I'm in the moment of writing it. And you've just published yours. I just want to get your thoughts real quick on how does it feel to actually hold the book? <laughs> <laughs> I actually know that it's out there. Like, I'm just super keen to hear it from you. So
1: holding this book is like, it's like you've been holding a well kept secret for like, mm. I don't know, it was like, it took me nine months to write the book and then there was a and it's like a th- 3 month waiting period while it gets processed, published, copy edited, asked questions, legalized, all of these different things, cross-checked, yeah. all of that yeah. stuff that just doesn't happen that doesn't involve me. It's just there like they're just doing all of this stuff. So then yeah. I was kind of antsy and being like, "Oh, what's going on? What's going on?" And then um then I got a box of like 10 copies so far at yeah. the beginning and I was like, "Wow." <laughs> this is the actual book. This is the actual book. Like I've I've, I've had the PDF yeah. already because you know PDFs are easy to, to get. Sure. And then when I got the physical book, I was like, oh my gosh I can smell it, <laughs> and it's like literally with all of the people that I hold like that I respect yeah. and admire on my bookshelf and all these names, and I'm just like, this is absolutely crazy stuff. It, it's it's surreal. It's um, yeah, it's a super proud moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm just looking forward to what is to come and the things the yeah. ideas I have and all of that stuff But I'm just so happy that it's out there now like officially people can go get it everywhere So I'm
0: kind of oh, like, it's super available like anybody mm-hmm. listens to this. We'll put the sh- we'll put the, um, the link in the show notes You can get it pretty much anywhere you buy your books uh, support local bookstores and you and I are part of a um, little writing club well you, you you I've got to give you credit you're way more present in the 7am cup than I am Ooh. I do show up as, as sporadically yeah yeah Mark arrives on every every <laughs> day. Like, hey guys, I, mean, <laughs> I was I've been like that for the past uh,
1: week and a bit so I'm kind of just been popping yeah. up on like Wednesdays and Fridays um, and yeah, need yeah, to yeah. take a step back from like writing writing but um yeah for no, sure, but that's it's, and
0: that's that's why it was just amazing to kind of see through the journey mm. the other thing that I found it's funny so you got you were published with Welbeck Balance, which is... Well, Trigger, was it? Or Trigger is an imprint now of Welbeck? Yeah, like that. Trigger, I think um, they've
1: changed, but Welbeck is the
0: is the, publisher. the, the publisher now. So just for people listening, because people who've been following the last season have been kind of following this crazy book journey mm-hmm. and have been getting a bunch of questions. Um, this might sound like a weird question to start with, but I'm just going to get the geeky book writing stuff out of the way so we can mm-hmm. get into the meaty, juicy stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that is, why, why did you go down the road of finding a publisher versus self-publishing your own book like I'm just curious was that something you even thought about were you juggling with with the pros and cons
1: so you see me mark I'm somebody who just doesn't it like I like I work hard yeah I work very hard and I do a lot of Mm -hmm. things myself and sometimes it's just nice when things are just done for you. <laughs> there is no reason why I didn't do, um, why, why I couldn't have done a self-published book. And there's no yeah. reason why I couldn't have done a, an ebook myself. And there's no, no reason for any of this. It's literally just done to the fact that I would rather have somebody just commission me <laughs> and I could just yeah. get paid and I can write the thing. Um and the thing is, I, was, I had a bit of—I just had a bit of trouble with 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 that sort of stuff as well because, um, obviously, I've got my own podcast too, and yeah. be, and and I struggled with being on a network with that. I kind of bounced from network to network, and like you know, mm. collected and I wasn't getting what I needed from it, and um, and stuff. But
0: but but just to get this, people listening to this who don't know what what oh, networks are okay, being. So yeah. basically, if you don't mind, just explain for people who have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, Yeah,
1: yeah so um i so like so a network essentially is a is a, a like a collective or a business that kind of looks after the podcast good like sorts out um say engineering marketing getting guests doing all that stuff you just literally just mm-hmm. turn up go to the podcast studio record um get the audio obviously and you put it out but they kind of have channels where they kind of push mm-hmm. stuff out in in that way so like an i added support in a sense yeah um like you know like a cast is one um when they have original podcasts, they've got stuff there um global is another um they've got Mm -hmm. loads of different ones uh, that are out there Mm -hmm. and um so yeah when i was doing that i was very much like i kind of left that and i started putting all of my effort into the podcast and kind of like looking after that so to actually add a self-published book on top of that would have been Mm. I, I don't right. know how, I don't know if I had the resilience to be able to stand there and be able to do that. Um, but I'd always been, cause I'd, I I did have a book podcast back in between 2016 and 19 called Mostly Lit. And um, I was very aware of the publishing industry. Like I was very aware, it was a yeah, so, you know I'd spoken a lot with publishers such as Penguin, Pam McMillan Bloomsbury, mm-hmm. Simon Schuster, all of those guys for their guests and the authors and their books and stuff. So um, I was very aware of the industry. So it wasn't like it was uncomfortable for me to kind of be like, mm. this is my proposal. This is what sure. I would like from, you know what I mean? So it wasn't hard yeah. in that sense. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> it was just more was of, it well you know, received? like, pardon?
0: Was it well received? Like when, when you started going around and saying, look, I've got this thing I want that we need to talk about, you know, men and mm. we need to open up about you know demystify yeah. these myths that men are being told and like yeah. I'm just curious because I know because it's it's for me obviously I mean people listening to this show know that this is a mm. a topic that I find super important right but I'm just wondering when you were going out there passionate about this did you find that people were well um, yeah it?
1: like it's it's, it's, a, it's still a very difficult topic to get commissioned if you don't have like Huge, huge brand behind you. So you know mm-hmm. there are so many guys who are writing about this stuff in very different ways to how I'm writing about it. But they're writing about this stuff. But then, but they've been doing it for a while. So they've got this kind of stuff behind them already, and they have mm-hmm. this um, kind of really machine already. But um, it, it did take it did take a while. It took a while to be able for it to get picked up. Um, <clears throat> the book that you have there wasn't in, wasn't the way I pitched it. I pitched it. I pitched it as you know. My whole thing was I wanted to write essays on masculinity, and I wanted to kind of really delve deep into what that what that looked like for me. Yeah. Um. So it was like you know, like I I don't know. You know, David Sedaris. I don't know. Oh no, so he's a he's a comedian slash um, obviously author writer. Very funny. Very 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 brilliant writer and he writes mm-hmm. personal essays so he's pretty much an essayist that's kind of his thing he has done a few okay. fiction novels and one of his books is called terrestrial family family in corduroy and denim and that was the one thing that um that was the f- that was the first book of his that really grabbed me because he was so honest so raw so authentic with what he's saying but he's funny at the same time it's like it's really putting he puts his family out there really and truly it's like yeah. you know and yeah. his life and his ideas growing up and he kind of really gets you to the gets you to the core of it but he, um, but it was kind of his stuff that really kind of inspired me to think, oh, I could write something like this because I don't see these kind of funny essays. Everything's so yeah. serious. Everything's so heavy. Everything's so...
0: Or it's completely the other side. It's like yeah. satire, kind of comedy. Or it's, or to or it's too satire. And I wanted yeah. to
1: kind of be in the middle, um, you know, be in the middle, be able to write and read these, these, these things, have it very authentic from my voice. And... Um, that just wasn't what was required at this time so at this time yeah. um it yeah. was really about kind of pulling off conversations from my podcast going actually having active conversations with uh, with other men really b- b- like building up that connection and communication with their stories and then looking into my own stories and then adding them yeah. into the into the book so um and that's how time to talk formulated that as you got it there that's how it formulated mm-hmm. But
0: um, yeah, and, and, and what you're speaking to, I just want to point, underline what you're saying, which is uh, Jada Selner, who's um, a friend of mine who used to uh, co-founded Green, um, I should know this, Green Smoothies. I have just forgot my, did she just come on the show? <laughs> I might, I've got a dad brain at the moment. Um, <laughs> anyway, so she co-founded this amazing smoothie company. And uh, she just got signed up with kind of one of the big major publishers. And she said to me, the book that I pitched is a, is completely different than the book I'm actually writing. Yeah. And I think that's like a real uh, eye opener for me to actually mm-hmm. say oh, it's okay to pitch a book and then actually go slightly in a different direction. Yeah. But your your podcast, so the podcast you, you're referring to, is that the podcast that you won uh, the award for, or is or is this the the one that you're talking about the books?
1: So the one i talk talking about the books is the one I won the award for. We won several yeah. awards for that, and um, I haven't put time to talk up for any awards since um, yeah. since i started it so i've kind of just been letting yeah. it letting it like set its roots and kind of figure <laughs> out what it's doing with it. so yeah. um yeah. but yeah we, but
0: congrats we, we, though like yeah. i, I, I want to say congrats because yeah. the award the, was it the british podcast awards right the best yeah. british podcast no awards.
1: it was um it was, it was like a british blog it was um best book podcast it was yeah. um it, it was on a British podcast. I think it came like, I think it got a bronze award. I think it got a bronze award on a hey, British podcast. That,
0: that, that is a award, pretty, yeah. that is an achievement. I never got nominated. So oh. That's always been like my pet. I've never got nominated. <laughs> <laughs> so you got bronze. That's like no, respect. No,
1: like, it, was, uh, it was at the height of, um, it was at the height of when podcasts were really starting and they were looking for yeah. real diverse podcasts. And we were, mm-hmm. we were a niche within a niche. We were black and we were talking about books. It's a very specific audience. Yeah. And it was just yeah. like, it was kind of like we were loud in that very small space so it kind of it, yeah. it helped but it was a good but we were good like and um you know we read loads it was like reading a book a week and it was just so intense yeah. and it was mad but um I bet. yeah i'm, I'm, I'm so <laughs> proud i'm so proud of that time and then um yeah time to talk i haven't actually put it forward I, I think i did put i didn't i did submit it for the british podcast awards this year no idea what's going on there yeah but um yeah, yeah
0: it's not well, the fingers crossed end all, is it? fingers crossed that I, I submitted it one last time. I was like, okay, just one last time. I'm just gonna go for one. You know, I keep on getting my heart broken. It's like one of these, you know, you've got to approach a partner and they keep on breaking your heart every time. But you know, I'll just, just keep putting myself up that. But one mm. of the things that, you know, what that kind of touched me in your book when I was going through it was the story of when, for me, like the narrative a lot is around this idea that as you experiencing and feeling the feels that you were experiencing, mm-hmm. making those wrong. Or, or making, making up that there's only certain contexts in which you can be yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like you would describe yourself as more sensitive, more open, you know, you, you would put your emotions on the sleeve. And then a cousin of yours, like a distant cousin of yours at a wedding once told you, you can't do that. Like you've got to wipe your tears otherwise before someone else sees you. Like, yeah. and these patterns that we get, right? Like as, as a younger self. Mm-hmm. And then you ended up yourself in a, in a news, newsroom. Is that what you call it? When you work, oh, yeah. in, you, I mean, you work in a newspaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a yeah, newspaper, yeah, newsroom. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was this very kind of almost, not hyper-masculine, I, want to, I, I, I don't want to assume, but there seemed to be a lot of this kind of laddie banter, again, kind of patterns being reinforced around what being a man means and mm-hmm. what fitting in a man is. And I'm curious, for someone listening to this and who might be identifying with that, with this idea of, I feel like um, I don't belong, or I feel like there's something wrong with me. I don't associate to the protected image of what being a man means. What was it like for you to feel that and to go through life feeling that feeling versus what the reality was telling you should be? Lonely. Yeah.
1: Very, very lonely. When you identify so differently to everybody else, or when you feel Mm. so differently to everybody else, like I was never into football, and all of my male cousins were. Mm. and there will be times where I'd try to fit in go and say a football a football team's <laughs> name wrong get get confused I so get that so embarrassed I had to just sit on the side while they all play playstation and look at me like oh, what was he doing um,
0: <laughs>
1: um Michael you know, Jordan's
0: a great player for Chelsea he's really
1: like, good. Yeah, he's fantastic fantastic isn't he just like you know, you know that, that, that shot there that he did you know and, like, and they're just looking at me like uh oh? <laughs> um, yeah. When you have to, when you're just not that guy, literally. When yeah. when you have interests that are completely different. I'm such a curious person. I'm such a, mm. I love reading. I love in-depth conversations. I'm super philosophical and spiritual. Um, I like getting to the nitty gritty of a conversation. I like going deep. Um, I like mm. doing all of that. A lot of the, the people that I was around just weren't like that. They just didn't have... But space so mm. it was kind of lonely really just mm. sitting down like i'll just be the guy that's just in his book and they'll be like oh why is he like, oh yeah alex is reading again and he's the brain box he's the brainy one and i'll be like <laughs> i'm not necessarily the brainy one i just like reading if i was watching films all the time would you say that yeah. i was a that was a, a student of film movie would God. you say that would you say it's yeah. a movie you wouldn't you would literally say oh you're watching tv all the time like you're not really learning yeah. anything are you and yeah, yeah. it's this kind of thing and you and it, it becomes your identity it becomes that it becomes what you feel valued for and I carried that value with me Mm. I carried that pressure when I was at school I carried that pressure through university I carried that pressure through working and that desire to do well that desire to do well because other people will look at you and be like, oh yeah, he was always brainy, he was always that guy, well done, well done, you're Mm. doing X, Y, and Z, but you're struggling with your Self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Right, you're struggling with all of that. I'm a very creative person. Um, I always did performing arts, but nobody ever looked at the, oh, oh, he could be an actor, he could be a a singer, he could be all this different stuff. Nobody ever looked at that. They were like, lawyer, interpreter, (laughs) (laughs) teacher, (laughs) and doctor, (laughs) like, and I was like, this is so weird, this is so strange. And here I am, a writer, <laughs> podcasters, podcaster. like does some does some teaching, and then I'm training to be a psychotherapist. It's such a mishmash,
0: oh wow, thing cool.
1: that people like that people look at. They don't they don't, they never would have looked at this for me <laughs> like when I was like yep. 15. They're like, oh, what is he? This person, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, well,
0: yeah. it was interesting. So well, you know, again, I think what, like your book is kind of packed with also some you know studies and stats mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. And one thing I, and I remember reading an article in Men's Health Magazine out of All Men's Health mm. on a report on, uh, on stigma and mental health, especially in the black community. And you mentioned about, you know, growing up in an Afro-Caribbean community. Mm-hmm. Is, and in your research for this book, did you find that there was a difference or, or a, uh, a gap in between the guests that you've been interviewing around opening up about their mental health when they grew up in their communities? Did that play a big role? Did you find in their journeys of, of opening up?
1: Yeah, I found that um, there's a, there was a, for the people of colour that I spoke to, mm. there were heavier weights, there were a lot heavier weights, because the weights were yeah. placed in the home as well as outside of it. Um, mm. It was, it was always like, it was never just men don't talk, it was Ghanaian men don't talk, or it was. Nigerian med- or Jamaican, med- you know what I mean? It was always that like kind of sub-layers. stuff. Like sublayers. Yeah, it was very much okay. like we are this kind of man, and this is kind of what we do. So there was that sort of stuff, and then you have the added element of being black in general. So it's like it's really mm. weird. You have your ethnicity, your ethnic group. So you are Caribbean, West African, East African, whatever. You have that. Then you have the fact that you are just your race, and you're so you're black now as well. So then that stuff is is mm-hmm. tough then you're a man so then you have that stuff too so then you're like and then you're kind of a christian one you're you're muslim you you know yeah. all the different stuff all of that all of that piled in together into one like neat little compact thing that you just get given when you were like what seven and you're like yeah. all right so here's your box uh you keep that with you all of the <laughs> good things look, good luck that
0: fitting in that all of the just, things just that you know doesn't fit in. exactly
1: all of that all of the things you know in there it doesn't have feelings so Forget those. Oh, accept anger and aggression. Keep those in there. Don't, yeah. you know, figure out, you know, strength. Keep that in there. Yeah, physical strength, not emotional strength because we don't need that. So emotions, go. Um, you know, you know, all of that Check, stuff. It's is, like
0: a checklist almost like, right, right, am, right. I, am I my am I benchmark to manhood exactly. and to being accepted among? Yeah. Exactly. Because the the, the the other thing is that you went to the re- La Réunion in France, we call it. I don't know what you call it in English. Uh, Réunion. yes.
1: Yes, la Réunion, la Réunion, yeah. yeah. Réunion.
0: <laughs> And I thought that this, so this is for me, that was like a, I know it's, this sounds silly, especially from a white guy, but it was mm. like this interesting realization of you going to La Réunion and realizing that what it was like not to belong to a minority mm. and actually just being like, oh, this is like a whole other layer that I haven't experienced yeah. yet.
1: Before we go there, you're French, aren't you?
0: Yeah, half. Oh, Half French. Okay. Yeah, that is so cool. Half French. Could you say it yeah, so, yeah. so? You say da- it so easily. <laughs> l- <laughs> l- I took me ages dad, my, to figure my, out how to say it My well. dad's French, and I always say like nobody's perfect, right? But it's yeah, my dad's French. My mum's British. Yeah. And um, but I never heard that. Like, you're the first person, mm-hmm. literally, in English literature that I read. uh Reunion. So I was like, know. oh, is that how? Is that what it's called? Like yeah, it's just reading Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah um, it's, um, it was um, it was such a multi. Like I don't know what you've probably what you probably know as somebody who is part french but for me as a british person i've never been you have never, been, never been, been? no but I, I don't know what i don't no. know the, i don't know it's come up in conversation or anything but um and cuz there's a whole particular there's a whole political thing around the 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 departments out to sea and the, the territories out to sea and yeah. toms and whatnot so um but uh, reunion is like it's like a, it's like the population is the same amount as say a borough in london um, they've got these mountains right in the middle. So everybody kind of lives around it. And then the more Creole you are, <laughs> the more native you are, the more inner land you live. Um, okay. and so there's many of them that just live in the mountains and these small communities. And it's so cool, such a dope place. Um, but it's very French at the same time. So it's a weird thing. Um, it's it's part of the EU, but then it's like, yeah, it's it's strange. But... It's a mixed match. And the, and a the, and match. the language. Like like people, just...
0: who, people who... who... You yeah, go, go for it. Go yeah, for it. as I was
1: saying, no, yeah. They, they, it's French, like... Yeah, Everywhere you hear, it's like, a like, it's weird French, French. Creole. Creole yeah. is like, but and it's it's, it's,
0: a, it's it, when you when you hear Creole, it sounds like someone's speaking French, but like yeah, it really, really weird. Like you reckon? Yeah, yeah. You, yeah.
1: It was really good because um, I I I obviously Jamaican patois pretty similar. So when I was okay. in class I was teaching the kids Jamaican Patois and I was talking to them about Nottingham Carnival and the kind of and what yeah. Juve means and they're like, oh, yeah. Juve, I was like, yeah, Juve, and then and all this different stuff and they're kind of breaking it all up together um, and then they were like, oh my gosh, it's so good. And when you listen to some of their stuff, I, I, I can hear the, the, the Patois roots and all this different stuff. Mm. But um, on the multiculturalism piece, it's like so many different communities are there. You have Southeast Asian, you've got East Asian, you've got African, you've got um, um, Indigenous white people there, um, and then you've got the metro people from Metropole So the people that come mm. from Paris and live yeah. on the coast and whatnot, and they're yeah. the ones that get all the private tuition and all this different stuff. Yeah. Um, but the the those four categories the you know Chinese, the Southeast Asian, African, and then the white um, Indigenous people they have really come together and really connected with mm. one another to such a way that their whole identity is them being Islanders. So mm. their foods are meshed, their cultures are meshed, their, um, like on a Diwali parade, you will, it, it's, it's not confusing to see um, Southeast Asian people, but also white people in there, black mm. people, African people, because they'll mm-hmm. be like, oh, my grandma is Indian. Or my uncle is Indian, or my cousin, or, or I am half, da, 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 or whatever, and they will. Mm-hmm. And there's no like kind of. Like a melting of, pot. There's yeah, there is no like issue mm. with that. And when I was speaking to the kids there, there was this big thing of. Um, they was, trying. I was trying to say, the, the question was about identity. How do you identify? And all of them were just like. It's such a hard answer. I am reunion, well, reunionese, but I'm mm. from here. I'm this is where I am. my mom is Chinese, my dad is Indian. Mm. Here I am, my girlfriend is black, da-da-da. whatever. Like, they're just like all of this stuff. So, yeah, they have their individual pockets of culture, but then they work together to kind of be one. I mean, mm-hmm. And they use that just to be against the metropole, which is funny.
0: Yeah, so here's <laughs> interesting that a thought that comes up as you say that, mm. right? It feels like in in their in their uniqueness and and diverseness is that even a word i don't even know they have diversity diversity. they actually come together as one and it's almost like did you find yourself to be in this weird mismatch of going you're all you all find a way to come together Mm -hmm. and and find an identity which isn't based on necessarily your skin color Mm -hmm. or on what ethnic origin your ancestors come from but more about how you identify as an islander Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and and then and because meanwhile back home, if we were talking about this whole, cr- well, not crisis of identity, but this, I feel this way. I'm being told I should be this, yep. But I don't feel like that. But then I go into a place where everybody feels like there's more of a belonging. Mm-hmm. There's more of a sense of belonging, because I don't want to put words in your mouth. But I feel yeah. like is that what you said? Where you realised a passion for teaching and for yeah. kids and speaking? What what impact it had when kids speaking up and opening up yeah. about their stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. definitely, definitely. Um, I left reunion with a deep sense of I want to work with young people I want to work and really really kind of say so just work with young people work with people have these conversations because it wasn't just the kids I was having conversations. it was the teachers as well and yeah. actually getting their experience of it. and then kind of like on a day-to-day like work like speaking to loads of different people because I did tutor adults as well because um, yeah. they wanted to learn English and they just needed somebody just to be there just to chat. And it um, was literally about working with them and kind of l- figuring out what they think about where they are and their kind mm. of their kind of understanding of, um, of their culture and, and their things. So I had a deep sense of I had a passion for stories and had a passion for communication and, 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 and the like. Um, mm-hmm. And then I ended up in journalism. So it was just kind of like, uh, so the journalism I thought I was going to be in versus the what I was in.
0: So did you go into journalism thinking that you were going to be exploring stories and, you know, getting deep into people's kind of heroes' journeys and shining a light on, yeah.
1: Yeah, I was, I I had grand ideas for what I thought I would be doing. Um, I wanted to kind of get to the heart of the conversation. I remember even being in a um, in an interview in the last part of the interview, and they did they do this test and the, <laughs> they did this test where I was working um, to 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 see if you understand the difference between a news story and a feature. So I obviously failed this test because <laughs> um, I was like I well, failed because I didn't pick the news story; I picked it as a feature. But they still pushed me through the news the news way, and it was just so difficult for me because I was so i was so keen on getting to the heart of all of these stories even when i was training um in newspapers a lot of them i did a i did a stint in south london's newspaper and the, the editor then was like oh you know you're really good at interviews you're so good at mm. getting the, i could hear you on the phone your, your manner your presence and then the kind of stories that you write based off them amazing so then i took that with me and um i was like oh, okay so that's some validation again it's back to that whole thing about being validated by yeah people yeah um yeah. and then um then I started to kind of, and then I got there and I was like, you know, what? actual news stories aren't in depth like that. It's literally very black and white. It's objective. Mm. It's, this is what happened. Cat gets this run is, over. Exactly. Cat gets you know, run over. New policies Where are it gets run happen. for- This a, is what happened. And here's the quote of the people that saw them happen. Mrs. Francis from number two. Mr. John from number seven, and then the counter argument from like the vet or something, who would just be like, Cats get run over all the time, and da we need to do XYZ, and then it just be the end. And it's that's the news story. And I'm like, This yeah. is not what I want to be doing. Um, sure. I went into I was from general news, so that was covering murders and kidnappings and things that were just bad, like traffic and whatnot, to entertainment. That must have
0: been tough, though. That must have been tough. I, I, mean, I take it from someone who's from okay look you know from the little i know about you from the interaction Mm -hmm. we've had on our 7am club but also Mm -hmm. reading through your book Mm -hmm. um it feels like you're um like you like you're open to emotions and feelings right like you can feel things that you can so one person might say it's a murder it's a rape it's a kidnapping it's this but for someone else it might feel like whoa that's intense that's difficult and hard to dissociate from the story how did you find that experience
1: very hard to To be told to go down to somebody's house and knock on their door relentlessly, and to see to see if they'll speak to you because they've just lost their son, and you want to know whether they their son was affiliated with crime. Anything to do with anything bad, basically. You mm. want to basically get the get the get the goss from yeah. these people. You want to knock on their door. You want to stand on their doorstep. Um, as I said, I did some stuff with, in in the. Um, on the entertainment desk and I had to do the same for like more high profile people, kind of like ringing their buzzer and kind of really wanting to like really distressing is really distressing stuff you need to do. And it was emotional. It was really emo- like I was like, yeah. what am I doing? but the but there are there are highlights. I mean I did a I was on a late shift once and I did a story speaking to um um a Gran who lost her daughter for sepsis. I mean we had this big sepsis thing happening in during two thousand and sixteen, okay. seventeen, I think that was really bad in the NHS. Um, and she lost her daughter, so she had to take on to adopt. You know, she had to look after her grandchildren. She's like what eighty, um, mm-hmm. and like really to be there to support her son-in-law as well because they've lost somebody. And then I um really spent a lot of time speaking to her. Spent ages speaking to her. Um, got got a really good story down. It got it got quite a good coverage in the paper. Um, I sent her some flowers because I was like, this is so sad, like to think that you you know your daughter got a scratch and then it and it went downhill from there, Literally, all she was doing was yeah. gardening and then it just didn't yeah. really help and um and it was just so sad because I was like, wow, but the, I mean it it got a good show and it was a very good report. Yeah. but I was also yeah. like, this is so sad, like you know people this is just one story that is just there and then it's just and then that's it it's gone like there's no yeah i I wanted to be able to kind of follow up and keep the story going and doing that stuff but it was really emotional really emotional stuff
0: hey we'll get back to the conversation with alex in just a minute i wanted to share with you something that i'm really passionate about and that is to help people put themselves out there more so they can have a, a bigger impact and make a difference and I know that so many people understand the power of raising your profile and, and building your personal brand, but it's so uncomfortable for so many of us that I've come up with five different principles that i have analyzed across all my guests that have come on my podcast, that have had a huge impact on me and probably on you and, and on the world. And I identified these five areas that it turns out we can all benchmark against each other and see where and how we can improve. I've built up this, this test to help you analyze and get some insights into the specific areas that you can tackle and focus on to improve your ability to impact the world with your story. So if that sounds like a plan, head over to www.BecomeTheSpotlight.com, take the test, it's three minutes, it's free, and it will give you some insightful tips on how to improve the areas in which you could be doing slightly better and celebrate those that you're already doing great. So once again, it's www.BecomeTheSpotlight.com, and I can't wait to see your, your score. Let's get back to the conversation. So at what point did you, uh, therapy come into the conversation? Because mm-hmm. I know that that played a big part in your journey to of healing, of coming home. Because the big, one of the big topics I found was this idea of coming home. Mm-hmm. Of like, not only coming home, but like being okay with who you are mm-hmm. and being okay with not being okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. um, so so when, did, when did therapy kind of come in, in, into play?
1: I've been in therapy. So I started journalism in 2016. I've been in therapy since 2017. Um, yeah. And I think one of my friends said to me, I think this was one of the triggers. Um, there were several things that happened. But the, she said, you can't, you're going to go, you go to work and you feel stressed. You come home and, you know, your home life, you feel stressed. You have your friends and your friends are draining you. Where do you find peace if you're consistently being mm. drained in all of On those edge. three areas of life. So I was like, wow. And then I started thinking about kind of where I was emotionally and all this stuff. I had three panic attacks at work because of the pressures that I've been under, so anxious. Um, my body was reacting badly to it. I had showed signs of rheumatoid arthritis because of my immune system was kind of reacting against itself.
0: And that's something um, like that's usually for much older people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Um, and when I get stressed to this day, my joints start to hurt, but mm. I, work, I work with it. So I'm trying to like reverse mm. those things. But um, and um, so yeah, I was you know that? So I was like, I need to go to a therapist. Cause I don't think because the doc, the NHS, weren't helping me. Um, and I just thought, you know what, I'm gonna have to put some serious investment into my own self and really go mm-hmm. and do this. And it just showed up. It did all of the stuff that I was kind of avoiding. Thought things that I had um kind of moved through. Thought I'd thought I'd moved past, but I hadn't moved through. So it's kind of like you know, friendships, what kind of friends what did I have around me? Mm. Um, how was I communicating with my parents now that I've been because it's that psychological thing of I've been away at uni for five years and I've been abroad and I've lived by myself and I'm independent and I know what I'm doing and did da da and you come back home and you slot back into your position in the family. Yeah, and it's this thing said. you know I mean? and you've been living at home and you can't do much because society's mm. like it's not easy for you just to move out in london and just go and yeah. live so um i was under I was going and i was undergoing all of that at work it was super stressful because it wasn't something that as i said to you i wanted to work with people young people speak yeah. to them to do it but i was in a profession that was hard for me like because Mm. it wasn't it was very ego driven it wasn't necessarily about people as much as it is about people in a way um it's about the bottom line which is the editorial line and making sure Mm. that you get the story no matter what if it bleeds it leads there we go Mm. so it's all of that stuff and um yeah so yeah i had the breakdowns um i was always told that i wasn't i wasn't quite there yet my um editors you know it was always consistently something about my writing it wasn't there it wasn't this it wasn't that. i don't think you're ready i don't think any of this but you know Mm -hmm. my white counterparts were being paid more or given more opportunities we're doing all this Mm -hmm. different stuff and we had the same level of education same level of experience but it just has just so happened that they were ready for all of this stuff so Mm -hmm. Um, it was very stressful it was very stressful you felt like you couldn't speak and all that so but it was great that i had therapy there because it was a place for me to then know that i could go and be unconditionally heard and listened to and it gave me the confidence to speak about things and be able to speak about them so over time those conversations really grew and grew and grew and then i started having those conversations mm-hmm. with my friends and f- like leaving friendship groups and finding new ones having conversations with my parents understanding how yeah. to communicate with them um, you know, I, I changed jobs. I left one paper, went to another. Realized that journalism in general wasn't for me, so I kind of just took a step out of it. Yeah. And then I started doing the podcast full time. Um, and I started doing, um, I started freelancing and kind of taking a just just taking a shift away from those stuff. So um, and just hustling. <laughs> That's all I've been doing yeah. since 2019. Just hustling. Yeah. Um But so, and yeah. and
0: it, and, it <clears throat> and, I lo- and you know and I, and I love. I love the journey. I love the fact that you also mention a few of the people who inspired you in the book, but also, you know, high profile people opening up about some of their stories, right? Like mm. from Stormzy to um, Phelps and so forth, who kind of gone through similar journeys. And there seems to be a pattern whereby, you know, when we open up about our journey, I always, I always say this, right? It's like clients and, and people I work with around someone somewhere needs to hear your story to not feel alone and mm. have a sense of hope. And I feel like by writing this book, right, which, time to talk, and it's interesting because it's this whole idea that talking saves lives. Right? It's it kind of, ex- and especially, especially men. Um, mm. when you know, that, that, that talking says like, have you seen a shift since? Because I know, obviously, that I'm guessing there's been a bit of a healing journey inside of you and thus mm-hmm. the book. Um, have you seen a shift in your conversations with your male friends? Um, Going from trying to be a football fanatic to actually having more in-depth conversations about stuff that matters.
1: So when I said earlier about how I changed uh, friendship groups, I started kind of. There was a point where I only had like one or two friends. I just said I don't really want to. I don't want to know anybody else. I'm okay. (laughs) Like I really had that. I tapped into that toxic masculinity. (laughs) I was like, I just don't want it. I just don't want to know people. Um. But what I had to start doing was really inviting that idea of having friendships—the kind of friendships I wanted—the affirming friendships, the nurturing friendships, um, mm. the nurturing male friendships—and lo and um, then behold, I did. Like the, the male, my, the male friends I have are my brothers, and they are. The people that i go to when i'm really like happy and and ecstatic and joyful and the people that i go to when i'm really sad and down and they, they lift me up and vice versa and people mm-hmm. that you you need to find people you can lean on um that can mm-hmm. kind of prop you up when you're not feeling yeah. too good or feeling too great and um so the friends that i have you know we pretty much work in similar spaces as well so um uh, it, it, a lot of the helping professions in general so they kind of do already Uh, work within kind of speaking to people and kind of like um, Mm. communication but also that can be that can be lost sometimes when you do it on a professional basis so you're kind of speaking to people all the time you kind of get tired of speaking so you kind of just kind of go withdrawn and you still have to get it drawn out of you um but yeah my friendships are the richest they've been because I invest in them um I really kind of make sure that I make the time for them and i put the effort and the energy into them because if i if you don't you're you're missing a trick we are some of our relationships you know and a lot of people are really realizing yeah, yeah the average nowadays, the five people you hang around with and all that stuff absolutely um a lot of people yeah. are realizing that you know friendships are becoming a lot more important than romantic relationships because they are the foundation um to that to that next step a lot of them are saying so
0: speaking of which i've got i've got a question for you and i don't know if i heard this right and this i could could have completely misheard this so please correct me on the record Mm. but i was listening to your conversation on linkedin i think you did a kind of a conversation with something and um yeah yeah yeah, yeah, with like your mates and stuff right Mm. and um did you say that you've never been in love
1: i've never been in love in the way that I had imagined that I would ever be in love before.
0: Tell me um, tell me more about that, because you said that, like you it's, glanced there and no one picked up on it. And I was I like, wait a second, tr- that's like a really kind of know, juicy I know, I know, I know. thing um, to unpack. Um, and I'm just curious, if you're willing, if you're open, of course. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to I hear thought, more about what, what you mean by that.
1: No, I absolutely thought they would. So in the last chapter of the book, um, it's about love and courage and loving courageously. right? Mm. And the first line I write is, I've never been in love before because yeah, I was like, let us just get this out of the way now. <laughs> so people are going to start asking me, well, what do you do? Um Never have I been in a position to fully give myself the chance to be in, um, in a loving, giving, emotionally receptive relationship because it's something that I fled and pushed away from mm. for so long. It wasn't Mm -hmm. something that I had always seen in um, in the relationships around me. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, my idea of love. Again, it's that idea of feeling different, right? I Mm -hmm. loved... I was a boy who loved romantic comedies. I was a boy who loved um, really reading... Like, I read The Time Traveller's Wife when I was 17. I read things... I love things... I love Richard Curtis films. You know what I mean? I'm kind of really just Mm -hmm. that guy. But I never saw that in real life. I always searched for that you know you have this dream of kind of meeting somebody at 16 and then kind of like finding them again at 19 and then I find them again at 27 and it's just this thing and then you and then it just never worked that way for me um yeah. and I just I just didn't and I was like you know what I've never I've never had that experience but then growing up <laughs> I've actually looked at it and thought to myself, I'm the kind of the kind of love. Everybody needs love differently. Everybody experiences mm-hmm. love differently, and um, I've always, I found a lot of love in my friendships. A huge mm-hmm. amount of love comes from my friendships, but I'm actually, but I am still searching for that core relate that strong relationship that bond with somebody else. Um, that because I don't want to be <laughs> I don't want to be like seventy That's and that, I'm that, sitting that on that a veranda. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, what is love? Well, I've
0: never had it. <laughs> so listen, I've got two. I had two thoughts on this, yeah. and uh, and I'd love you know just to, to to pin with you. But one of them is, um, have do you think you've built up an unrealistic expectation of what relationship slash love slash the one should uh, absolutely. be or feel like? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, I'm anxious attached, so that's usually one of the traits that come with it. Um. But um, I I definitely built up this this really big expectation of of stuff. And um, I think, as I said, the therapy was super helpful um, in kind of addressing my boundary issues, addressing Mm -hmm. um, my attachment issues, addressing all of these things and helping me heal in that way. Mm. Um, But also I'm a a, a dreamer and I'm romantic and I'm all these different things. And I'm like, well, Mm. You can have the. i in my head. I'm like, well, you can have the love that you want. You can create that space. You can create that fairy tale. I know you had one of your guests on. um I forgot what his name was, but he's the the, the Navy guy. The guy who went, he went to West Point. I forgot his name. Was it Eric Oh,
0: Ream? Uh, Eric Ream. Eric Ream, and he was all like, how yeah. he had his like. When I heard that, I was
1: like, you know, he, you know, he, he saw the girl. He got the girl. He's with the girl. <laughs> and I was like, that's right, so but American. It's complex. Yeah, and you
0: know, look, you, you know, because it's it's a comp. You know. It's it it was interesting because I heard that Mm. the the two thoughts that came up to me was that was like, yeah, is an expectation. And the other one is, what are you afraid of? Like if if there was a fear around the idea of relationship, what have you found it to be? Mm.
1: The fear is. The fear is giving yourself completely Mm. to somebody else to really have Mm. somebody there in your corner who Mm. can you know, who sees you for who you are. I mean, ideally, that's what you would want, right? You want somebody Mm -hmm. who can see you for who you are and can can Mm -hmm. be on your side and can be, um, you know, men typically ask for permission a lot of the time. They ask for permission to feel, you know, Mm -hmm. it's very army-like, you know, permission to feel, sir, permission to this, to this, like all of that. Um, And um, I, you know, I would love to be in that space where I can give myself, to somebody and actually really see and be seen and be heard and be loved and be felt and be Mm -hmm. accepted and while I and you know but the process for me is really doing that for myself so I know Mm -hmm. what to to bring which is kind of which is one of the main which is one of the themes of the book is self-love and self-acceptance because once you get there bringing that into a space and I've needed to be on this journey because now I'm relationship ready it's like I can I can step into it, those spaces and have yeah. and have a bit more of an idea of kind of who I am where I am rather than it just being like cause I'm so big on this thing like you're stepping into other people's lives I'm like I don't know whether I'm overthinking mm. that but you're stepping into other people's lives and if you're not well, in a space then what yeah. are
0: you doing you know? there, there's there's a couple of things right and and mm. again um, you know remind me of a friend of mine who was going back and forth about this like he's always been in complicated relationships and mm. And the the way I see it is like, it's so much pressure for anyone, mm-hmm. for you, for the partner, for the relationship. It's like the way that I often represent it, it's like imagine a, it's a small little seed that's being planted mm-hmm. and it just needs a bit of air, a bit of water, a bit of nurturing. And the only thing it for sure doesn't need is being stamped on or whatever. And that takes time and it may or may not come to fruition. Um, I don't know, I, I, I had this romantic dream for mm-hmm. you, which was of like, maybe, Less pressure, <laughs> less kind yeah, of. I don't know. It's easier said than done, right? But I'm but I'm uh, I'm yeah.
1: notoriously hard on myself, so that's just me. Yeah. And I'm and I and okay. I work and I work through that, but um, I'm very op- as you said, I'm very open to kind of being in these spaces and just learning as we go. Because I know that I'm not. You know, I think one of the one of the 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 magical benefits of therapy and really kind of going through this journey and this healing journey is to understand that nothing's perfect. Perfection does not exist. So and that's what mm-hmm. I feel really as, as an ideology, but understanding that and knowing that there's going to be no perfect relationship, there's going to be no perfect, per- there's, going be, there's going to be something that is going to be a bit like, I don't really, yeah. but it's about kind of loving through those imperfections and really moving forward in that.
0: Yes. And it reminds me of one, one thing in particular. I got a mm-hmm. meme from uh, from Elena, a, a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, and it really it stuck with me, it said, if I ask you to list down the things you love most in life, how long would it take before you put your name down?
1: After myself, after the yeah. word
0: myself. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, just like my me, right? Like, yeah, I know that I would, when I heard that, I was like, damn, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even thought about putting myself down, right? Yeah. I would have put like all the you're, things. Yeah, you're probably not appreciate. there
1: yet in the book. But there was a bit where, um, um was i was afro punk in france in paris mm-hmm. with a few friends and um we were lounging i forgot what the park was called we we're lounging somewhere in the park and um my therapist the week before had said make a list of all the things that you love about yourself and like well love about yourself not like love about mm-hmm. yourself and i was talking to my friends about this and i said i can't feel this i can't answer these questions and I was teary because I was like I can't answer these questions mm. why can't I answer these questions I, I should be able to love myself I should be able to do that why is it so hard for me why am I stuttering on this mm. and they were like that is so sad because you are one of the most lovable people you are mm. kind-hearted all this stuff they were saying all these things words of affirmation is one of my top love languages they're saying all these things and it was great for me but it was like why couldn't I say it for myself and then that was kind of the next mm. thing that I was embarking on
0: it's tough, man. I mean, i I, you know, I've been in therapy on and off since I knew I was going to become a dad. Mm-hmm. Um, the moment I knew I was going to become a dad, well, it, you know, ish. It just sounds very romantic. The moment it was probably like a few, a few months after, but <laughs> I decided I want to, get, I want to get therapy just to get, you know, go through some of my shit and mm-hmm. hopefully not pass on some of the stuff that's been passed on to me. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know about you, but one of the hardest things I find in my journey is accepting all of me, not just uh good boy good sides of me that make me look good and people will validate or appreciate but actually the shadow the, the parts of me that i'm ashamed of that i would hate anyone to real know about me and that i know that for me that's the journey of coming home of accepting whole right mm. of saying that i have light and darkness i have shadows and, and light um how has your journey to self-acceptance been hard
1: very hard journey um
0: Mm. and
1: i'm there though i'm I'm very accepting of Mm. myself as Mm. i said i'm very hard on myself and i know that i'm hard on myself so i take the added steps to not be so um i you know i mean i'm i can be i can be a very particular way but i'm also very clear about I'm very clear about these things, um, and I can define myself in so many different ways, and list yeah. off things that I love about myself, and do all this stuff because I've been doing that work daily to to mm. really get right with me. So, as I said, if we're going back to the relationship stuff, or making new friends, mm. or stepping into a new workspace, I can just stand up there and be like, to so if I was to go back into working in the newspaper to tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what stamp I'm making and I know exactly who I am and I know exactly what kind of stories I want to do and I know exactly, you know what I mean? I know all of these things. No one can funny? tell me any different. Yeah. But when you've yeah, walked yeah, into yeah. these spaces, into these relationships, yeah. into these workplaces, into these friendships, and you have no idea who you are, it's up for interpretation from everybody else. And,
0: and that's you're gonna where take the on, journey... And you're going to take... And you're seeking everyone else's validation. All of that stuff. Do you find... So do you... This is like a really weird, random, selfish question. Love them. Do you find it hard now to have kind of surface level conversations with certain maybe of your old friends or family members or or are you okay with kind of I understand that certain people can go to a certain mm. depth and some is not and yeah. I'm okay navigating both spaces I'm, I'm a very
1: accepting person Um mm. and I meet everybody where they are and I feel, I feel like the joy the joy the joy in that is just saying this person is someone who is light-hearted and wants to wants to laugh all the time and wants to take the mick. And wants to just be, wants to wants to break the tension with the fuse because they have a reason for that. Don't get, mm. don't get to, They have a reason for wanting to be that person. So mm. I run with it, and I'm just like, okay, so this is what we. This is all right. we we're we're, we're at taking the Mick level today. Okay, I'm meeting you there, and that's it. Like I will meet yeah. you where you're at, um, mm. and because there are a time and a place for the, for a lot of these conversations and for these things, and some people don't want to go there, some people can't go there. Um, and, I'm, and I'm not always best equipped to go there with people, mm. but all I can do is ask the question and just meet them with what they give. And one of the mm. things about vulnerability and conversation is that you have to really set the, set the, set the parameters for trust. You have to offer up something in mm. order for that to be kind of given back to you. So if I'm put, to put yeah. something on the table, then I can just, then that gives them to the, the room to say, oh, I'm going through a similar thing. I'm experiencing mm-hmm. anything. I've had this experience or not. And that's their choice.
0: Um, so that's yeah. really up to them. Being, being open to either, being yeah. open to either. So up I've to. just come to the time, I just realized that the hour just went through by. But um, so what's the message that you want to hear from someone who's thinking about getting the book and who probably needs the message inside the book? What's your hope um, that this vehicle, this channel, this message will hopefully achieve in, in the foreseeable future? Like what's one of your crazy dreams?
1: Crazy dreams. I'd love to be accosted in the street and be like, "Your book made me realize that the person I was with was rubbish, and I needed to get out of it." No, um, it was. Well, more cool. Um, yeah, that would yeah, be That'd That would be so funny because cool. I'd be like, "That's it's a so that's nice. a story. Yeah, yeah. That's a story for the gram." But yeah. um, but <laughs> I also wanted. I also want to be able to. I also wanted to be instrumental in building courageous men um mm. and courage you know the masculine idea of courage is this running into a burning building and and saving the cat i don't know if you watch this is us um on yes Amazon Prime, I, only,
0: I'm, I'm only in the first kind of episodes
1: of, of season one yeah okay so i won't spoil it for you but there's yeah a similar don't, conversation think, running I, running into I'm
0: trying to think about where i'm at in that um, yeah
1: such a good show and a lot of the themes that
0: I've, I've
1: been watching them back and I'm like well that's in the book that's in the book that's in the book because it's not new it's just me saying it um mm. but it's like um yeah the masculine idea of courage is running into a burning building and saving the cat when I'm really rejigging that and I want to see the idea of uh, courage is really just you know, understanding the risk and vulnerability, and going anyway, and understanding that your emotions aren't something to be afraid of, and having conversations mm-hmm. aren't something to be shied away from, and you are valid and valued, and all of these things, and that is something mm-hmm. that I really want people to feel empowered by when they when they read the book, um, yeah. because we we grow up with a lot of men who don't feel this way, and they kind of they they push their stuff onto how they treat women how they treat children, how they treat, um, you know, people that don't identify in the same way that they do. Um, racism is the, like, racism and patriarchy are the are the beds of what has built this society for so long. Um, I think once we get to a stage where we really understand that those are intertwined, it's important to kind of be able to detangle ourselves from these things and really have the conversations. Um, we don't get anywhere without conversations at the start and that's mm. why I really want people to read this and think I want to be a courageous man let me have the conversations let me make friends with that person who is completely different from me but they have a they have a story you know like completely yeah. different thing masculinity is a huge spectrum and we've only been caught, caught in this little yeah. this warp of like one kind you know so um, yeah, yeah I'm big on that and that's what I want people to take from the book
0: love it Alex, before I finish, I've got I've to give you, a, you know, an, another, another spoonful of, of acknowledgement to say thank you for the courage to be a voice, yeah. um, trying to raise awareness around the complexity and mm. also the beauty of masculinity and all that it encompasses. Not just the, the brave man who saves the cat in the fire, but actually the man who also says, I'm afraid to go in the fire, will you help me? Mm. You know, it's like, it's like it's it's so needed, especially when you look at the terrifying stats around uh, men's rate of suicide and men's mental health. And I think it's such a, a, on a scale. Right. There's like we often talk about mental health. People imagine suicide, depression, anxiety. Mm-hmm. But there's also a spectrum which people will feel maybe down, not well, and they're still not reaching out and helping out. So this book, my hope is that it does start the conversation that someone mm-hmm. can say, hey, have you read this book? I'd love for you to read this so we can have a conversation about it. Yeah. right so they could use this as a medium as a start of a conversation i'd love that, that. that's that's a super powerful tool um yeah. alex uh, if you listen to my show you probably know this question's coming but just in case you don't what does being unconventional mean to you
1: being unconventional to me means thinking opposite going against the grain doing standing out and really just saying well, <laughs> calling out stupidity in the, the calling yeah. out the stupidity in normality, basically. Yeah. Um, there are so many things that we look around and think, Oh, this is normal, but is it? <laughs> it was it normal? No, and I think we've we've, we've understood that with regards to um, um, with regards to what's happened with pandemic and COVID, mm-hmm. we've rec- we recognized that the normal we had was supremely um ideal, idealistic and really weird and overwhelming and people were stressed and um burnt out and um I just think that, you know, and like that's the same for our emotional lives and our personal stuff and um, you know, be unconventional, like why why be why be the same being the same is boring. Like I don't I don't <laughs> get it. Like if you want to go and dye your hair tomorrow then dye your hair tomorrow and don't care what he says paint your fingernails like go do something different don't do a different class buy a unicycle yeah. i don't know try something <laughs> different um and i love the quirkiness of unconventionalism
0: yeah. love it thank you so much actually i've got a confession before we hang up which is i too when i arrived in the uk i wasn't into booze and i wasn't into football the two most important seemed to be men's conversation in pubs and bars and uh and it's and it's it's selfishly an honor and a pleasure to hear that i have other men going through the same experience and that you're able to also be a voice for that so thanks brother appreciate you thanks for coming on the show and where do you hang out most where can people find out about you if they want to get in touch Um, send you a message say oh my god your life, your book changed my relationship (laughs) i got out of a really toxic relationship (laughs) where can they find you uh, online Um, what's the best place
1: i um i'm on instagram by Alex yep. Holmes. That's B Y Alex H O L M E S, like Sherlock. So by Alex Holmes, and there you'll find the link to my website, which is alexholmes.co, and in there is the world of me, everything, newsletter, podcast, workshops, all the things. So just Instagrams the portal to all things. So yeah, I would say go there.
0: I'll see you at 7 a.m. next Tuesday, probably. I'll see you at 7 a.m. next Tuesday, But I thank you and I appreciate you and uh, look forward to getting this episode out. Likewise. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. It's one of the powerful reminders of why we need to open up and speak up just to feel a little bit better. Talking saves lives. If you're struggling, please reach out to someone. The Samaritans are always there to listen. But when in doubt, even if you don't have the words for it god knows i've been in that situation where i felt like i didn't want to be a burden i didn't have the words to express what i was even going through so why the hell would i reach out to anybody but the moment i did i just felt better and that weight was a little bit lighter so please reach out and of course if you've got any questions regarding alex please read his book reach out to him it's a really powerful book um, definitely worth the read I'll put it all in the show notes if you enjoyed today's conversation please make sure to leave a review and rating over an Apple podcast it definitely does make a difference and if you're watching this on YouTube please subscribe and hit the bell button to get a reminder every time a new episode comes out so you don't miss out on these powerful life-changing conversations I hope you enjoyed today's po- conversation podcast I'll see you next time until then remember your story matters and your message has value I'll see you then Today's episode was brought to you by Become the Spotlight. If you've ever wondered how you benchmark against some of the most inspiring guests that have come on the Unconventions podcast, today's the day that you can actually find out. Head over to www.becomethespotlight.com and take the three-minute test. It's free and it will give you a concrete example of where you can improve and celebrate the areas that you're already doing great. It's been a game changer for so many people taking the tests. I'm so grateful for all your emails and DMs and messages and how much that's helped you. So if you want to find out what your spotlight score is and amplify your impact and your ability to change the world with your story, head over to www.becomethespotlight.com. I can't wait to see your score.